What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Hi-Fi Hour here on Audio Architects. And today I have the utmost pleasure of talking to Brent Butterworth. What's going on, my friend? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's nice to meet you online and uh, and to chat with you. And I'm looking forward to somebody asking me questions about audio instead of the reverse. Well, I, I think it's great because, uh, you know, I told a couple friends of mine, that you were coming on the show and they're like, no way. Are you serious? It's awesome. You know, they were really excited about it because, um, you know, for the, for the people that don't know who Brent is, Brent has been in this industry writing since I, I believe, uh, late eighties, right? Yeah. 1989. There you go. I did my homework. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> so you've been doing this for quite some time. You've seen, uh, incredible transitions in hi-fi you you've seen the uh, in the industry as a as a reviewer mm -hmm. and as a as a obviously a consultant and a lot of other hats that you've worn um you've seen the transition from cassette to cd to digital back to vinyl <laughs> and the, you've yeah, seen it all what? can you can you tell me what has been your experience uh, and what you feel about how the industry has, um, I guess, what's the word, evolved over the years and and wh where do you think we're going with everything? I know that's kind of a, a, a loaded sure. question, but uh, I think that, you know, your opinion, your opinion definitely matters. Uh, well, well, that's nice to hear. <laughs> Thank you. For for me, that I think the big surprise is the has been the resurgence of two channel over the last 15, 20 years. And just that, you know, I think everybody, you know, I started on video magazine in 1989, and that was right after the first Dolby Pro Logic receivers were introduced. And mm -hmm. we got really into covering home theater sound. And everyone just assumed, like, yes, surround sound is going to be the future of, of audio, and everyone's going to have right in their car and in their uh in their home and back back then headphones were like a, a almost insignificant thing so i think you know everyone assumed like uh you know home theater magazine which i edited for a while was the wave of the future and like you know stereophile and absolute sound we're going to go out of business where it's actually closer to the reverse happened. <laughs> uh i mean just to, to put it active i think Stereophile sold for 16 million to Peterson Publishing, I think. And Home Theater sold like a year later to the same company for like 45 million. But now Home Theater, you know, which is now folded into Sound and Vision, is worth you, you know, they 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 practically gave it away last time mm -hmm. and stereophile is a big thick healthy magazine and, and absolute sound is too so that's been the, the sort of shocking thing and um it's actually kind of nice in a way home theater is so complicated now that it's just a it's a like reviewing i refuse to review av receivers it's just way too complicated mm -hmm. and now you know i kind of started focusing on two channel 15 20 years ago and headphones especially you know 10 years ago so and it's just much more fun to review that stuff than to do home theater because just just the setup alone for home theater is just brutal you know i i feel like 
I do enjoy, I definitely enjoy obviously two channel more than, um, you know, even, even thinking about, uh, reviewing a, a home theater setup or something like that. Cause you're right. It's super overcomplicated. There's so many factors, so many components, so much stuff to cover. Um, then you, now you got the Adobe Atmos and, 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 you know, the channels just keep growing and growing and growing. Eventually there's going to be a hundred speakers in your, in your theater room. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, I like two channel because it, I enjoy listening to the music. I enjoy the music. I, I love it. And just in the small time I've been doing, I mean, you've been doing it, goodness, 30 plus years. I've been doing it almost three. So I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm an infant. I'm an infant in this, in this racket. Um, I have learned so much though where I kind of kick myself where I'm like, man, I should have known, I should have known that. And I didn't, do you still have those moments uh, now, nowadays where you're like, man, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Or have you reached a point where you're like, I, I, I kind of know that I've heard of it, but you know, but you, you're just so well-versed, you know? Well, I kind of, it's more like moments where uh, I didn't, realize something like I've been, I've been at this so long i mean like i don't want to say i know everything but i know you know a lot and i keep up with i'm a aes member audio engineering society member and i keep up with all the scientific papers and i i you know i'm always doing measurements and testing and things like that and i read a lot of the publications as well so i'm and my friends in the audio industry call me and talk to me about stuff so I, I'm pretty well plugged in at this point. I've read like all the major books, but still once in a while, you know, we, I just did an article for soundstage that's about uh, current, which, you know, like average. And a lot of people don't really understand that. And a lot of amp manufacturers kind of use current as a marketing thing be, because nobody understands it. And a lot of hi-fi writers write about it and they don't understand. It. So I wrote a column about it. And uh, uh, Diego Estan, who's the measurement, the, uh, the electronics measurement guy for Soundstage, pointed out an error, which I, it never even occurred to me, is I have written, and this is going to sound really trivial, but um, I had talked about how, uh, uh, you know, a certain amplifier needed uh, plus minus point, you know, plus minus 7.75 volts RMS to hit its peak. And he said... For RMS, you don't need to put plus minus inherent. I was like, oh, that's right, because RMS implies AC, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, this is really obscure, but, but still, I kind of it, it, it's it, there's there's certain things that kind of dawn on me. I, he made a couple other comments too, and he's a super super hardcore electronics measurement guy, which I am not, mm -hmm. and so there's always people have who have a different perspective, and also. There's still a lot to learn, I think, when it comes to well headphones, for one thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I have to call I have to call up people like uh, Dennis Berger, who's you know one of my colleagues, and ask him questions about uh, you know AV receivers, which he reviews, and I call up uh, uh, my buddies who review video gear. And and uh, and ask them questions like you know it's just the simplest, stupidest of questions. But um, 
I still remember I was <laughs> I was at the Cedia show. Mm-hmm. And I hope this doesn't turn into like an old guy long-winded anecdote. But I was at the Cedia show. I was actually walking on the street with with Jeff and Dennis Berger. And I had my phone out. This is like years ago. And and I said, uh, and Dennis was like drinking a cup of coffee or something that we'd just gotten. And we're walking down the street. And Jeff's like, okay, I just tweeted this to somebody. I'm like, what, you can tweet from your phone? <laughs> and Dennis like spit up his coffee. But I'm, I'm kind of not plugged into this, to all the stuff that you kids are plugged into. You know, I'm kind of not plugged into a lot of the computer stuff, a lot of the phone stuff, a lot of the social media stuff. And, and readers, you know, readers are, I, I've always made my email like easy to find ever since 1992 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so readers are constantly emailing me uh, saying, and you know, they'll email mail me about some new Bluetooth codec that's used in like Japan or somewhere that I've never heard of. Uh, or they'll email me about, uh, you know, products I've never heard of. Uh, all sorts of things. So I'm constantly, you know, getting, you know, realizing there's something I didn't know. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a continual process. You know, if you're really into doing this stuff, and, and you know, honestly, I, I don't like knowing things as much as I like learning things. So I got you. Um, <clears throat> now, my, my biggest, I guess, my biggest obstacle with this whole thing has been creating relationships. Not so much now, but more so in the beginning, but creating relationships with brands to be able to have a a consistent stream of revolving gear coming through to, to review. Because um, I primarily do um, online YouTube reviews for my mm-hmm. Audio Architects channel, as well as um, I, I kind of transfer them over into written form on my blog, on my website, and every, you know, blue moon i'll do a, a review for stereo net and you know it, it's it's it was tough at first I, I i'm finding it easier now because once you build a relationship with a, like a pr company or you know whoever mm-hmm. uh, it, it just becomes a lot more uh easier to to communicate and to get more stuff but how do you in the beginning, like, how do you build that from scratch? How did you, as a reviewer, go, okay, I'm going to, I need to get stuff to review? Like, what, or, or did the companies take care of that for you? Boy, well, it's, it's weird, you know, for me, you know, 30 something years ago. And now most of the PR people I dealt with back then are no longer in the business or they're retired, but um, a few are still kicking around. But, um, it's it's a matter of you you know honestly going to trade shows is a is a big help um going to press conferences there used to be press conferences in new york all the time when i lived there and you were just constantly at them and you met people and trade shows are the same thing you go and you meet people it's much it's usually much product from people after i've met them at a trade show because then mm-hmm. they put a face to a name and they know I'm just not some schmo who's trying to get a free thingy. Um, but but I have problems with that too, you know. I mean, I, I am not plugged into, for example, uh, there's a lot of the headphone stuff that's really kind of uh, a little bit underground and you kind of have to be on the forums to know about it. Like a lot of these so-called Jifi earphones that are real cheap and a lot of them really good. And 
So I just started buying them because they were cheap. And I mean, we're talking 20 bucks to 70 bucks. And I thought, you know, I could buy this thing for 30, 40 bucks. And like, if you figure out how much time it's going to take me to try to figure out who the person in China is who might send me this for free, I'm chewing up so much of my own time here that it's better just to buy it. And so, but now I just noticed, like I just did a review of one of them and the company posted, I've never had any contact with the company. I don't think I even tried to find them. And, but they posted my, they found my review. They posted my review. They ran a contest. There was like, if you leave a, if you go to that review and you leave a comment, on it then you're automatically entered in our contest to win these earphones for free i was like wow great well i guess i'll have i'll have no problem getting product from them in the future but but also there are people who i'm pretty outspoken about a lot of stuff and there are uh at least a few manufacturers who are reluctant to send me stuff some of whom are, are even personal friends of mine but they know that uh they they look at the way I evaluate things and they know that their products are not likely to to you know let's say distinguish themselves in in that kind of you know in, in maybe a test with multiple people or maybe with some measurements or or whatever. So there are still some people that are that are probably wisely reluctant to to send me stuff. And uh you know, I got I got a couple new. You know, there's there's companies that are that really kind of. I mean, they they don't they don't dislike me or anything. I mean, I know them. I mean, one of the one of the. I'm not going to say who it was. There was a speaker manufacturer who I was at his daughter's bat mitzvah, and you know, he wouldn't send me his subwoofers because I measured him using CTA 2010, which is this really kind of unforgiving output measurement which tells really just tells you what a subwoofer is capable of. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't like that. And um, yeah, his subwoofers kind of were fine products, but they kind of choked on that test a little bit. And so he wouldn't send them to me. And I was like, eh, whatever. Okay. I got other subwoofers. Well, so this, this, this kind of peaks a, a real, real interest here. Uh, if a manufacturer is afraid to send a reviewer a piece of gear don't you feel that it's, it's not the reviewer's fault obviously don't you feel the manufacturer at that point needs to kind of look within themselves and say okay why can't we send this product to this person because i mean in, in a perfect world everybody would be manufacturing beautiful things right everything would measure perfectly everything would sound fine the the problem is subjectivity if you're doing a subjective review, which I do, I try to do, uh, if I'm doing speaker speakers for me are my favorite thing to review because they're easy mm-hmm. because it's easy to subjectively describe them and mm-hmm. it's easy to measure them with, with, you know, even the most yeah. Uh, yeah. primitive, primitive stuff like I use is REW. Uh, and, and it, you know, if I do near field or in room, I know where the, the nulls are in my in room. So I'm able to describe it a lot easier. Amps to me are Jesus. Like, I don't know how to review an amp to save my life. I try my best. It's just amps for me are harder because they're, uh, if they're within a certain price class, they're all very similar. You know, if they're class D and they're all within a thousand dollars of each other, you know, they're all going to mm-hmm. be fairly similar. Um, so yeah, don't you feel like a manufacturer should be more 
aware of, like I said, I don't know. I, I, I think a manufacturer shouldn't be afraid, should be proud to send their stuff to, especially a reviewer of your stature. Well, thank you. That's a nice compliment. Thank you. But, um, well, that that's that's where you get into the whole the whole thing with high end audio. And I kind of, I think, unlike a lot of people, I kind of straddle high end audio and mainstream. Like I'll do, I'll do, you know, some super mainstream set of headphones one week, and then you know, a week and a half later, I'm doing a two thousand dollar set of headphones from some high end company. And whereas I think a lot of reviewers kind of either go high end or they go mass market. So I'm I'm kind of constantly dealing with some of these high-end companies that the focus is more on in in, in high-end audio and i say this as someone who's written marketing materials for a lot of high-end audio companies never anybody i review um never even any categories i review but there are certain expectations in that field and there's a lot of high-end audio is also luxury goods and there are some of those products are more luxury goods than a real improvement over i mean if you if you take a fifty thousand dollar amplifier right it's certainly gonna it's gonna it's it might have eight or ten thousand bucks worth of metal work in it alone and it's gonna look mind-blowingly spectacular right and you're gonna have a real pride of ownership in that versus a parasound which looks fine. I have Parasound gear, um, look, which looks fine, performs very, you know, great. But so you can distinguish between the a lot of the the distinction between the high end audio products in that in that case is more the luxury goods aspect than the sound quality. And they'll make claims about sound quality, and and some of those products, uh, you know, measure like spectacularly well and you know, and, and from, from that standpoint, but from a standpoint of actually having them in your living room, they're not going to really perform in, in a way that's, that's, you know, perceptually different here from a parasound or something or an NAD or, or maybe even. So, but, you know, so they're, they're, but, but with, with audiophiles, there is that luxury goods thing. And so some of these companies are, are doing things that are maybe not going to deliver all that much on sound quality, but will deliver on a luxury goods buyer satisfaction kind of, does that make any sense? It's sort of like buying, you know, I, I don't know where I got this shirt. I know I didn't spend a lot of money for it. I could have bought, I probably spent 20 or 25 or 30 bucks for this generic polo shirt. I could have gone and spent a hundred bucks on a polo shirt and I wouldn't say I would never do that, but you know, that polo shirt cannot be shown to be better than this polo shirt, but it may have a cooler brand name. It may have, this one doesn't have a thing here, but it might have a alligator or whatever is the hip polo thing now, or, you know, Ralph Lauren logo. Um, so I can't really say like, no, that buying that $100 polo shirt is stupid uh, when you can just buy this one because I might do that myself. You know, if I was at a alligator, you know, IZOD outlet and they had the alligator ones, I'd probably buy one because they're really well-made shirts. And so you see what I'm getting at? It's sort of like- I, I, th I think you're tippy-toeing around the laws of diminishing returns a little bit. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so 
are some of these products where I'm just getting ready to do in the, the podcast that I have with Dennis Berger. And I'm going to get in a cheap plug, the Soundstage Audiophile podcast, which I do with Dennis Berger um, every, what, twice a month, I think? Every two weeks? Every two weeks. Somewhere in there. Soundstage um, is uh, the Canadian brand, right? The Canadian folks up there? It's Well, the head guy is Canadian, and several oh, okay. of the people are Canadian, but they are uh, they're worldwide. I mean, they have contributors mm-hmm. in Europe. They have... Um, uh, several people in the U.S. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're 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 they just they're all over to the place. be in Canada. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so we're getting ready to do a segment on. You know, I, I saw another review of uh, this real kind of tweak product that, if you understand how amplifiers work and, and preamps and stuff, you, you you understand this product doesn't do anything, and it but it's really expensive, and the the manufacturers making just outrageous claims they sound very scientific but if you understand the basics of of preamp design which is not hard to understand by the way um you realize like yeah this is bogus so you i mean granted the people that are spending a colossal amount of money for these things that really can't be shown to do anything um they may still enjoy spending that. I'm sure they do. They enjoy spending that money. And we all spend money on stupid stuff. So, I mean, what's jewelry worth? Right. Well, you know, what's what's a luxury car worth? It's weight in gold, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, literally. But, you know, I mean, what's what's a, I mean, I'm not into cars even remotely, but right. most I mean, I drive a Prius C from seven years ago, but and I'll drive it till it falls apart. Um but most of my friends drive nicer cars than that. A lot of my friends drive Teslas. A lot of them drive, uh, some of them drive, you know, big luxury pickups or SUVs or something. And that's fine. They don't need that to get down the road. And they spent three times as much for their car as I did. And it won't be any more reliable, that's for sure. And, but, you know, it's, so I, I kind of, I don't, I think there was there was a there was a, a tradition in like stereo review, which uh, have you ever seen stereo review? <laughs> I I've heard some strange okay. things about it. All right, well there were some strange things going on, but not I'm not I'm not disparaging them, but it was it was you know every magazine has its 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 peccadillos. Yeah, I heard I heard they reached a bit. <laughs> well, well, they, they, actually, they the, the the funny thing is they didn't. And they didn't, compared to the high-end magazines now, which basically, in some cases, just make stuff up. Um, Stereo Review never did that. They, But they were also kind of like, well, nothing matters. And you should just go buy this. You know, And every product they reviewed, it's like, well, hey, this is an amplifier, and it puts out 102 watts into 8 ohms or something. And it's perfectly fine. And you couldn't tell from their reviews what was good and what was bad. So, but, you know, they also would have these tests where they do blind tests of, and they never heard a difference among anything they ever tested that I can remember. It was always like, oh, yeah, see, it doesn't make any difference what amplifier you use. And, you know, they, they, it doesn't make any difference what uh, anything, and, you know. Uh, speaker stands don't make any difference, and this it doesn't make any, this doesn't make any difference. And so it's all this, nothing ever makes a difference. So you should just buy the cheapest thing you can find and be done with it. And 
not really the way uh, consumer products work. You know, people don't necessarily want to buy just the cheapest thing. Hey, look, if I'm buying, I just bought a weed whacker thing for my for my new house here, and mm-hmm. I bought basically the cheapest one I could because I have a little tiny yard. I don't care. I don't need a three hundred dollar weed whacker to cut to to go mow the back forty. So, you know, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. I think that what audio writers should do is point out, like, hey, you can go buy this really fancy stuff if you want, and here's the advantage it's going to give you. Or it's not going to give you any advantage at all, but it's cooler, and you may want to buy that because it's cooler, it's better made, it's got a nice backstory. I mean, hell, I'm seriously contemplating buying uh, a two-band now, like a low-power two-band, just because, like, you know, I really denigrate. I don't know that I denigrate people who do that, but I kind of, I cast a lot of doubt on that. And I thought, you know, I haven't had a low power tube amp for like 30 years since I literally dug one out of the trash in New York city and rebuilt it. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, you know, I should probably do that. I should probably get back into that. And, you know, I'll dig it. It'll fine. I'm sure a reputable company and their stuff is very really well built top quality parts and i'm i'm thinking like it'll sound fine is it going to sound better than my parasound stuff well might be worse in ways but it's kind of cool to have the thing and i'll dig listening to the music more because i have the that thing in my system does that make sense i mean yeah you, you know what <laughs> You know what's crazy? I, I've just I've been consuming everything you've been saying, and you are like the total opposite of what a a normal reviewer on Stereophile or Absolute Sound is all about. Because this is actually something I brought up in a live stream I did last week with a friend of mine. Um, he, I, I told him I'm like I pulled up a, a a copy of the latest Stereophile, and I was stumbling through it on the on the live stream. I'm like, okay, I, I have to find something. So I go, I come across a an expensive, a super expensive preamp or something, and I twenty, thirty, forty thousand. I don't know how much it was, but it was it was in the it was in the tens of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about: Stereophile, Absolute Sound, all all all, the, all these publications. Yeah, they they put out beautiful magazines, you know, and they're nice. But it's like it's like looking through a magazine full of Ferraris and Maseratis and Corvettes and and things that aren't practical. And then I, I thumb through the end of it and I'm like, okay, I want to see what he's using to, to review this, to see if it's mm-hmm. even relatable to anybody with a reasonable income to, to have, you know? And I looked at their, their gear that they're using and we're talking this, this guy, I don't know who this was, but probably over a hundred grand worth of get Diagostino yeah, sure. and, 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 you know, yeah. just, 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 just ridiculous stuff. Um, now I like I said I didn't expect you to say a lot of the stuff you said because right now there's audio files and manufacturers cringing, but uh, <laughs> because they they base their their high end audio is oh high end audio high end audio is one of those things where I think I think gear reaches a point where it's it's going to reach you know it's it, where it's yeah. it's okay where your where your ears can audibly hear the quality and the and the and the sound and you're going to be like oh this is great you know this is good enough for me this is what where i want to mm-hmm. be at 
and anything more, anything less, you know, you're not really comfortable with. But with high-end brands, I really believe you're paying a lot for aesthetics. You're paying a well, lot you for, are. for brand recognition, yeah. you know, like you are. It, it just doesn't make sense to me because it's you, you you were comparing cars, you know, you either buy a you buy a Ferrari for a hundred grand or you buy a uh, Dodge Hellcat for half the price or a quarter of the price mm -hmm. and it can go almost just as fast, if not faster. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, that's well, it's, that's it's, it's a big it's a big uh, the, the 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 consumerism in the Western world is an unbelievably complicated thing that has more to do with psychology than it has to do with actually getting something that you need right mm -hmm. so and, and that comes to playing clothing probably even more so well definitely more so everything you can think of that base back there you can spend a hundred thousand bucks on a base or you can spend a thousand bucks or you can spend somewhere in between but somewhere around you know 1500 bucks you start to get a pretty playable base and what are you getting beyond that i know some of it's in in the 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 musician enjoys playing the fancy instrument more mm. um and you know it's just it's you know any any decent guitar player can go grab a 150 dollar uh squire and go play a gig with it uh, oh there, this happens just across so much of of western culture that the only people i have a problem with are people that make claims that they can't verify so like when you say if you're uh dan d'agostino master audio systems right um now there has been some controversy about his recent amps which measure kind of weird for i i can't it's you know, I, I can't remember what the controversy was, but distortion was a little higher. But I used to review his amps when he did Krell. And, uh, and yeah, you get a Krell amp in and you measure it and it was just like, bam, 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 bam. It was just perfect. It was everything measured great. And I felt really good about using those products because I knew they were just rock solid. And I knew that if someone, if I reviewed some speaker, and I got some guy online saying, oh, well, you should have used this amplifier. I'd be like, no, this amplifier is rock solid. Here's the results. You know, I did a listening test with it with, with people. And, you know, your your opinion doesn't matter to me. You give me facts and, and then we'll talk. But, mm. you know, if so much of this comes from the brand name and, and so much. Oh, I remember. I, you know, I have like a I have a musical Fidel headphone amp that I used, I bought it like 10 years ago just to measure headphones with, because it had a low output impedance. And back then there were very few of them that did. And, you know, so then like I get a comment, you know, Musical Fidelity kind of, I think it kind of, the guy kind of neglected it and it kind of, they weren't coming out with new products. You know, it happens, you know, and I think they eventually sold it to somebody else. So the, the brand was kind of dwindling and other brands kind of came up and, I remember one guy was like trashing me for using a musical fidelity headphone amp. I'm like, it didn't suddenly become a bad amplifier. It's a perfectly good amplifier. It just, it didn't suddenly become bad because your perception changed. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, so much of this is creating perception for brands. Mm-hmm. I mean, but but that's but again, that's across all of the, the you know the Western culture consumerism. It's you know marketing doesn't not that much of marketing focuses on you know actual demonstrable benefits. <laughs> now that that's a, that's actually leads me to another question. Do you feel that the I'm going to call it marketing fluff? that a lot of these companies do when either launching a new product or talking about their products in general, do you feel that's a bit unethical and disingenuous if they are pumping up something to be something that it's not? And and, and do you feel like it happens more often than not? It's a complicated answer. And uh, I'll I'll remind, uh, just so your viewers know, I've been, I have done a lot of marketing writing. My background is actually in advertising. My education is in advertising. Not, I have a journalism degree, but I just studied advertising. Um, and I've done a lot of marketing writing for different audio companies. And I've done, again, nobody I review or anything like that. Um, just stuff that's out of my out of my my uh, area right now. Um, and I've also done consulting for companies. And I worked for Dolby Labs for a couple of years. So I kind of have some of the manufacturing side as well. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, so I've, I've dealt with a lot of these companies in terms of, you know, and they face these same problems. Some of them are, in my opinion, somewhat shameless about it. And they make all these just preposterous claims that sound very scientific. And they've got to know they're just baloney. But there's also something of a, an arms race in any kind of audio. I know it happened in sound bars. And I was I consulted for a few companies that made sound bars, several of them. That was kind of like my, my big thing for a while. And some of these companies were publishing these outrageous uh, power specs on sound bars, like 1,000 watts or something. And, and, you know, the power supply is a little doohickey that's that big that couldn't ever put out a thousand watts. And, and then if you look at the power supplies, you know, output ratings, it's a hundred watts or even 50 or something. Well, but, neither could neither could the, the speaker, the tool two inch drivers handle a thousand watts. Right. True. So <laughs> but exactly. Good point. But um, they would come up with some way to justify this rating, like, I don't know, maybe they hooked up some kind of a power supply to it that would deliver that. And and in some, or maybe that was the combined output of all the amplifiers, absolute best case into an eight ohm load, which the speakers are not. And who knows what, but, but they would concoct, I actually took a couple of these things apart and measured them. And I found that there were ways to get to the, some of those outrageous power ratings. They just weren't legitimate. And so I, I, I think that, but 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 my but some of my clients were, and one of the companies that was doing that was my clients. But then, like the others would say, like, well, how can we publish honest? You know, our, our sound bar actually does like eighty watts, okay, and you know, under under legitimate rules of, of measurement. But these other guys are publishing a thousand, publish a thousand too, and this happened in the in in av receivers it was notorious receivers of any kind were had been notorious for power rating inflation and mm-hmm. so i remember pioneer 
uh, you know, back in their heyday, 20 years ago or whatever, would publish one, like a legit rating. And then they published the bogus rating. And the bogus rating was like six ohms, one kilohertz, one channel driven. And so they'd say, you know, this is 200 watt receiver or something when it was really more like 40 if you if you measured it by legit standards now it was it, if you actually put the thing in a room worked fine mm-hmm. um you know for, would would drive most most speakers pretty well and would certainly play louder than most people would want to play in their living room so it's fine but they felt like they had to compete with the people that are doing the bogus ratings but then they also put the legit ratings in there and i think that's like one potential way to do things is to i just i get i get upset with the people that are that are really not honest in um that are making specious claims like uh i just saw one I'll tip the. I'm not only. I do want to save this from my podcast, but I'll tell you what the guy said. He said, "You know, we're only getting really 20% of the music with current technologies." It's like, how did you determine that? Because see, I hear, I play. Presumably, that's when I play that thing and I hear it. That's 100% of the music, right? Right. Unless there's some problem with the air here in Washington State, um, but how do you say? And, and you know, when I and I make recordings, and I have a group called Take Two that is on the was on the jazz charts for like eight weeks, and so I'm making that music, and it sounds fine to me through all sorts of different gear, and that yet you're telling me, no, that's only twenty percent. Like when I hear that through these headphones, which I mix some of the stuff on, I'm only getting 20%. I heard that thing. I heard you know, the sax player. I, I know. I, I, I know what his saxophone sounds like. It's like some guy who probably doesn't play, who doesn't really know anything about music, who I don't know if he knows anything about audio engineering. Some guy is saying, well, we're only getting 20% of the music. And a lot of audio, oh, yeah, yeah. We're, you know, real. it's just, it's really kind of, you know, we're really just not in another 10,000 bucks. Maybe I'll get 21%. And that kind of nonsense just really, really bothers me. Okay. So, uh, so, wait, wait, can, so, so he was saying that with our current technology, and I'm, I'm guessing he's referring to mass market stuff. You're no, only no, oh, he's re- referring to everything, everything, everything that we're only getting 20% yeah. of, of, of the music. That doesn't make any sense though. It's just a bunch of it's a bunch of sheer baloney, and that's not the word I want to use. Um, but but the thing is, high end audio writers will will publish this. And uh, years ago, I did. There's a guy named Peter Quattrop who I think runs Audio Note UK, and uh, a part time audiophile ran an interview with him, and he's talking about how you know recording technology really peaked in I think he said the 1940s, mm-hmm. and then speaker technology peaked in like the 1930s or 40s or something and everything's gone downhill from there and that's just stupid i mean that's just completely you there's just no way you can make the case for that and yet somebody publishes it and if you look at the comments under that article it's like oh yes yes it's just you know really 
things were so much better back then and audio technology is just barely, you know, audio technology is really kind of pathetic in, in how it just doesn't bring you close to the music. I don't, I, I, I have a, I, you can, you can tell I'm having a hard time controlling myself. Um, I very, I'm very intolerant of those people, especially since, you know, what, what do they know? I mean, what do they, what, how do they know anything about music? So, most sorry. Of those, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> most of those people probably don't even listen to music, to be honest with you. And if they do, I have it's to wonder if they. And if they do, I want to know what what genre, so I can never listen to that ever again. But um, you, you know, it, it it's, and I I've seen it, and I know I've only been doing this for a very short time, but you know, I I've seen companies. I'm not going to name any names, but uh, I'll tell tell you after the I'll I'll, I'll give you the lowdown yeah. afterwards. But uh, there is one company in particular that really loves to hype up their products, and to be honest, I've never enjoyed. And this is all subjective, right? I've mm -hmm. never really enjoyed any of their of their offerings, <clears throat> and some people like them. A lot of people like them. Actually, the majority of people probably like them, like the way they look, like the way they sound. I just don't like that particular sound. So as a reviewer, I, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard because I have to be unbiased, right? When I listen to something. So how would you recommend as, as a, as a seasoned reviewer, how would you recommend to a newer reviewer how to kind of mitigate or just, would you recommend just not reviewing those types of products or that type of that company at all? Or, or how, how it's a fair way to review them, even though you don't really like the way it sounds, but to some people it could sound just fine and it measures just fine. What do you think? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a block. It's really a mix. And I have to say, I've learned, I have benefited immensely from my longtime friendship with Steve Guttenberg, who has a web channel called the Audiophiliac and for a long time was a CNN, not CNN. CNN. C CNET, thank you, yeah. uh, was a CNET writer for probably 15, 16, 17 years and who worked for me at uh, Home Theater Magazine, Home Entertainment Magazine. And, um, you know, Steve's perspective is very non-measurement, not into measurement at all. Um, doesn't doesn't really understand it. I mean, a lot of these guys who are not into measurements just really don't. I mean, he, he can't talk in any depth about it. But... Steve has been hardcore into this stuff forever. He was a producer at Chesky Records, so he's heard lots of stuff. He's been on lots of recording sessions. Um, he's interviewed lots of studio people, lots of musicians. He really has great ears. I don't always like the stuff that he, there are speakers he likes when I listen to him. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But by and large, you know, his recommendations are pretty solid. He and I have great conversations, um, even though we're coming from, you know, the polar polar opposites of, of the audio field. And I think it's really important to, it, it, it's a testament to, to his tolerance that, you know, he and I can, can, can be friends and just talk about, people are amazed that he and I are friends. Really good friends. I mean, we've been we've been friends for like twenty five years, and I'm I, I just I find that it's good to try to 
and to hang out with these people and see where they're coming from. And but but with with some of these brands, you you kind of just have to. I mean, I write about some of these brands in trade show reports because I kind of like them, even though I would never buy their product mm-hmm. because it's too it's too. Some of these people. Okay, Zoo Audio is a great example, right? They make these speakers with a big jump and then a wizard cone in the middle, and they have a super tweeter. And I think I measured one of those ever that Steve Guttenberg had reviewed, and he loved them. And I listened to him. I'm kind of like, no. And there's a lot of there's just there's a lot of physical problems with a speaker like that. You can't make it measure good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gonna it's gonna have coloration. There's just no two ways about it. But those guys make a cool looking product. The product is cool. The backstory is cool. If you go to trade shows, they always have among the best dim trade show, even with speakers that can't objectively outperform a standard, you know, woofer tweeter kind of speaker. Um, but so I kind of really dig what they do. I wouldn't buy that, but I, the fact that Steve likes it, um, you know, another brand is, who's those, those guys in Utah that put like a million on the speakers? Tecton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, theirs, you know, you look at some of the things they do and you're just like, that doesn't work. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I have friends who have those speakers and love them. And, and they've heard good speakers. You know, I shouldn't say good. They've heard speakers that are, you know, real Canadian school, broad dispersion, flat frequency response kind of speakers. And yet they choose to buy these other speakers that are not that. And, mm. you know, they're having fun. They're mm-hmm. having a great time. But but I can't, I can't really, it's hard for me to review those speakers. And if I review them, I got to say, hey, look, this thing's got three tweeters here joined to like a giant woofer. And so you're going to have these problems where blah, 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 blah. And here's my measurements, which show you exactly what those speakers do wrong. And yet some people will, will like them. It's one thing I like about headphones is that it's more, there are things you could, there are so many things you can do wrong in a speaker in a headphone. It's because, you know, there's, there's so many, because speakers, you have dispersion issues and distortion issues mm-hmm. and all sorts of things like that. And if people don't know how to do a crossover right, then and a lot of, not a lot, there's still a significant number of high-end manufacturers that really don't understand how crossovers are supposed to work. Um, but if the people screw up their crossover, the speaker's going to be bad. Headphones are just voicing, really. Right. It's just a matter of doing, you know, acoustically in there, or if it's a powered headphone, you know, going into the DSP and voicing it the way you want it to sound. And so, it's simpler. So it's hard for me to, unless a headphone's really way out there, I can't say like, you know what, this headphone's wrong. Mm-hmm. I can say, hey, look, this headphone is idiosyncratic and it has you know, some weird peaks and dips where other headphones don't and this. and But, you know, you might like it. And I always tell people, at least, you know, go to a headphone show and hear these things mm-hmm. and see what you like. And whatever you like is fine. Um, I think everybody should go buy. AKG. AKG. Uh, this, these are K371s. These are like 150 bucks. You can find them on sale for 120 sometimes. They're, they're Harman Curve headphones. This is, this is what 
this is what sound is supposed to be like, basically. So this is this is the sort of by the book headphone. And a lot of people don't like them. If you go on headphone forums, a lot of people don't like them. So, but that's fine. Some people don't like them because they don't like being told what to like, and they feel like they're being told what to like. Whereas it's actually the opposite. You know, Harmon researched, Harmon wanted to find out what people like and then allow manufacturers to make headphones people like. They're not saying this is the, every headphone should be made this way. Uh, you know, so I think a lot of people don't understand that. But I think everybody should have some idea of what the by the book sound is. Everybody should own a really good set of bookshelf speakers with a six and a half or five and a quarter inch woofer and a one inch tweeter and, and a, and a well-designed crossover and a good solid box because the box makes a difference. And, you know, I have these triangle audio Borea BRO3s right now. They're 600 bucks a pair and they're they phenomenally good speakers. They're extremely good speakers and they're 600 bucks a pair, which is very affordable. There are, uh, there are, I really think people should have an experience with something like that. Then if you want to go buy zoos or tectons or some big panel speakers like Magnapans or whatever, go buy that. You know, I mean, Steve Guttenberg, you know, changes stuff out every couple of years because he gets tired of a certain sound mm -hmm. and he wants to move on to something else. And I think that's a totally cool thing to do. Right. Yeah. Right now so, I'm actually uh, reviewing the Sonus Faber uh, Lumina 2s. I, I find them very pleasing. Okay. You know, I, I'm really into that. I, I know I get a lot of flack for this in this industry is I like a V curve. You know, I like a, a slight, a slight V curve, you know? Um, I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, mute my, my mids altogether. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I like uh, really nice mellow highs and I like nice punchy bass. Um, that's just the way I, I I guess I grew up in the late eighties, early nineties. So I, I was always into the, the you know, the early hip hop and stuff like that. Sure. That's and, that's perfectly fine. I mean, a lot of people voice headphones like that. It's very still very common. And you can do it in ways that are stupid, and you can do it in ways that are pleasing. Yeah. I, I hear headphones like that. I just I just did an article on Soundstage a couple months ago where I talked about how there are still headphone manufacturers that do like an extreme they boost the bass, like not just the lower bass, but the, the upper bass, like around 200, 300 hertz. And that just gives you this really big bloated blah, blah, blah sound. It's just terrible. But, but you know, there are ways to do like a, like a V-shaped curve that sound really pretty great. Mm -hmm. And I, I always, honestly, if that's well done, I, I really enjoy listening to it. So what's the... What's the problem? I don't. I don't know. I don't have a problem with that. I, I I think when I talk to like one of those, you know, traditional real purist audiophiles, they always say, "No, you have to keep everything right in the middle, everything neutral. That's the way you have to listen to music." And I, I'm like, "No, I I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. That's why God invented tone control, you know. And I think that using tone control allows you to." kind of yeah it will it be exactly what the artist intended probably not you know i mean but will it be something your your ears are going to enjoy that's i think that's the end game right there is what what are what are what's the consumer's ears going to enjoy the best and i, I think that's what you know when you find that holy grail item that that you love so much 
that's uh, to me that's that's kind of like when you're winning. Yeah, well, I it's like I'm saying, it's it's good to. I think it's everybody should be aware of the the, the sort of by the book neutral sound, and you should have something. It's like a, these are 150. You just go buy them. You can plug them into your phone if you still mm-hmm. have a phone with a headphone jack. Um, I gotta get and, and you know, <laughs> and, and you know, you can get something that's that's a that's a quote unquote reference neutral sound, and it's good to be aware of that. But if you want to deviate from that, that's fine with me. Uh, and especially as a you know, since I am an artist. Uh, I don't care what people listen to my stuff on. I mean, if you want to hear the artist's intent, listen to these headphones, because I did a lot of the mixing on this, and I also did it on JBL monitors, which sound surprisingly like these, because these are also made by Harman. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you listen on these things, you can hear what my album sounds like. But if someone wants to listen to it on, on, you know, really wacky speakers, God, I don't care. They can mm-hmm. listen on like 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 five dollar earphones for all I care. They can listen to it on speakers that I panned. You know, I, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think any artist cares. Mm-hmm. Um, not not musical artists. Maybe like the the home theater guy. You know, the the movie sound guys. You know, kind of don't want their stuff coming through a soundbar, but. But still, you know, the, from the from the artist standpoint, success means people, you know, consume your your creative product. and how they consume it. God, who cares? You know, mm-hmm. I just don't care. So that's the artist's intent. My this the intent of this artist is to please listen to my music. <laughs> you know, that's it. I don't care how. Uh, I will for the for the audience. I will be putting his uh, links to his music in the in the description below, oh, so you. you guys can check that out. Um, you know, I guess this leads me to one of my one of my latter questions. Um, where do you feel this industry is going, and do you feel it's going in a positive direction, or do you think that we are going to be so inundated with just marketing bullcrap that it's just going to, the consumer is just going to be confused and and it's going to be a a horrible purchasing experience because now you have YouTube, YouTube reviewers telling you one thing you have the, the magazines telling you one thing you have the online publications telling you another thing. And then you have word of mouth. There's just so many different directions of content that people can be consuming to find out about these products. Do you feel the future of hi-fi, the future of, of of just music consumption in general is is going to become oversaturated and diluted or do you feel do you feel there's still going to be some room for those classic great sounding you know uh legendary speakers and amplifiers and stuff like that i i hate to to be a a fence-sitting wuss but i'm going to kind of come down on both sides of that i i a lot, a lot of people lament the trend that you know. You go to a high-end audio show and you see these fifty-thousand-dollar amplifiers that mo- very few people can actually afford, and and these giant speakers, some of which are pretty dysfunctional. Um, but I think that's a negative trend. But you know, those companies are doing what they need to do to make money. They they are not 
foisting, I, I think in, in, in most cases, they're not foisting their vision upon you of what they think music should sound like. They're trying to figure out what people will buy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have someone like Dan Dag, been in this business forever, who's really one of the founders of high-end audio industry, uh, deciding, what was it, 10 years ago, like, I'm going to make you know, I'm going to go from doing Krell, which had, which always had a spectrum of stuff. You know, they had like a $2,500 integrated. They had a umpteen thousand dollar giant monoblock thingy that was no, that five people couldn't lift. And, (laughs) and, and, you know, he decided like, Hey, you know, the thing to do is make $40,000 amplifiers. And to be fair, he does make some that are cheaper, but they're still like 10,000 bucks. Um, but, you know, he decided that's where the market was. And obviously a lot of other people who know their market far better than I do um, have decided to focus on this super high end stuff. But to be fair, you can I don't really read. Apps. It's all, you know, it's it's I, I mean, I read stereophile regularly because there's measurements in there. Um, and, you know, so. And also, I just like to see what these guys are saying. So, but, you know, if you look at Stereophile, yeah, they're going to have those $50,000 amplifiers and all that stuff in there. But they're going to have a $300 speaker in there as well, probably. Mm-hmm. Or a or a $500 amplifier, a $1,000 amplifier, or a $1,000 speaker. They're always going to have, and Soundstage is the same way. Soundstage does stuff from, you know, we have Jeff Fritz who does, who focuses on super, super expensive stuff. And then we have, you know, Dennis Berger doing speakers that are, you know, kind of like these triangle audio things that are that are very affordable. You know, occasional reviews of Bluetooth speakers. So there are publications that are that are really kind of showing that high end stuff, but also saying, hey, you can go get, you know, perfectly good stuff. I mean, hey, look, go buy. I would say. To anybody who's watching this and is confused about what they need to do in audio, and you, you want good audio, go buy a good set of bookshelf speakers, 300, 400, 500 bucks, 600 bucks a pair, something like that. You know, Elax, these triangles are great. Uh, Polk actually makes a lot of uh, inexpensive bookshelf speakers. Go buy that. Go buy like a Yamaha stereo receiver. They're perfectly fine. And you can probably get one with like Bluetooth and uh, and maybe AirPlay. Um, go buy those two things, you know, stream from whatever streaming service, you know, get like Cobuzz, right? Cobuzz is CD quality or, um, you know, get all that stuff going and you're going to have the, the, you will be hearing, the music will be there and, you know, set them up, like set them up properly, set them up in a triangle and sit, you know, in the right spot and things like mm-hmm. that. And maybe, maybe throw a little bit of, you know, have some curtains in your room or something to absorb some of the reflections. Don't make it too bouncy in there. And also don't make it too dead. Um, you're going to have a very, very good result like that. I mean, because because a well-made speaker is going to work good in just about any room. And just, you know, and that's what, a thousand bucks or 1200 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you're going to have a good result. Now, if you want to go step up from there to half a million, knock yourself out. Get a really good result for a thousand, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred. Even some of these, I, I I've reviewed these edifier 
uh, what's it called? Like the something 1000 DM 1000 Mark two. And mm. I think they're 400 bucks. They're actually made of wood. They're really kind of solid and chunky. And it's a, like a six and a half inch woofer, one inch tweeter. It's got an amp built in. It's got Bluetooth built in. You can plug like a streaming, streaming box into it or whatever, whatever you want or a DAC or something. And they measure like rebels. I mean, they measure dead flat on axis. They're really well behaved off axis. We've had three listening test, three blind listening tests where they just wipe the floor with everything. And for 400 bucks, that's that. Look, if you play, you know, Charlie Parker or Billie Eilish or whatever, and you play it through those speakers, you are going to, you are not missing anything. Okay. You're getting, now, if you're going to play like a little baby where they have like 32 hertz bass hits, yeah, it's not going to do that. But, you know, you could always add a subwoofer. Mm -hmm. I always recommend that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish in two in two channel though it's still hard to add a subwoofer, which is really a shame. But that, but actually adding, you know, like Parasound has has subwoofer outputs. You know, like really adjustable, sophisticated subwoofer outputs on all of its stuff. But very few high end manuf Class A does it. A few others. But very few of the high-end manufacturers do it. And they don't do it because a lot of audiophiles perceive that having a subwoofer output makes you, you know, mid-fi, which is just the most preposterous nonsense in the world. But the manufacturers don't the manufacturer look, all these manufacturers, I can I can I can draw the circuit to add a subwoofer output on your your box. Anybody can do that. There's just nothing to it at all. But so the manufacturers know how to do it. They don't do it because they know it either makes their product look bad or they know that their audience doesn't want it. So why should they spend an extra five, 10 bucks to do that? Sure. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunate. And yeah. the, the fact that certain, uh, what really grinds my gears is that uh, a lot of AVRs and stuff like that don't come with pre-outs. So you can't really send it out to a, to a separate amp or, or whatnot. Yeah. Just to create more channels or whatnot, but um, I don't know, man. It, it's you got to get into about. I, I don't follow AVRs that closely, but when I did, you had to get into about twelve hundred bucks to get the pre-outs. Sure, yeah, and, and I didn't spend that much on mine, but um, well, I, you can you can step up, and yeah. you know, I it took me. Hey, look, man, I started with who knows. I, I can't even remember what I I started with whatever speakers. Where Lance Braithwaite at Video Magazine had like storage rooms full of stuff, and uh, he would loan me speakers. And you know, God, back then they really barely even had home theater systems. And I would kind of cobble together two speakers from this brand and a, a center, not even a center speaker, it's like another speaker from this brand, and then a couple of cheap little I got at Sam Ash or something. And and, and I used to base amp. For, for a while mm -hmm. um and you know it worked it was it fun work. it was yeah. it was a lot of fun i i enjoyed it and i stepped up a lot since then obviously mm -hmm. um so i'd say you know what you can get a good result out of uh uh you know god they, do they still sell that little uh energy take five system i think they do and that's i don't know what it sells for nowadays probably 500 bucks you can get a good result out of that and a three four hundred dollar AB receiver. 
I mean, is it going to yeah. completely kick ass? No, but it's going to yeah. sound really good. So, what what are your plans for the future? Are you are you going to be more uh, more so pursuing? Are you going to be actively pursuing the music uh, that you've been working on? Yeah. So 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 what happened was we did this. I I played I have played in a lot of jazz groups. Uh, I'm not like a great bass player. I'm kind of a hack, but. But, you know, if you have one of these things, people call you for gigs because it makes them look legit. So um, <laughs> I'm competent. I'm I'm, just, I'm joking. I'm kind of competent. I'm just no one's ever said I was a great bass player. They think I might. I have good stage presence. I'm kind of, you know, but other than that. Anyway, so so me and uh, Ron Seiger, who's a guy whose band I used to play in, uh, kind of had nothing to do with the pandemic. And I helped him do some recordings of some of his. He was just starting out writing tunes. I helped him record some. And we lived about, you know, 30 miles apart. So I could like drop off stuff at his house in the pandemic and he could drop off stuff at mine. And we eventually made some YouTube videos and someone uh, that we was starting a record label and said, hey, I want you to be on my record label. And we took like, it took us forever. It took like a year, but we finally did it and we dumped it out there and, you know, whatever, some people listen to it. It's on all the streaming services and we just did it for kicks. We didn't think anything of it. But then the record company hired a radio promo person. All of a sudden, we got on the jazz charts. So uh, we did pretty well for a couple guys who were just messing around. And, and and for a recording that, frankly, is, I mean, it was just messing around. And it was recorded in bad spaces and with often cheap microphones and, you know, we finally kind of got our recording technique down by about the last tune. <laughs> so anyway, so it got a lot of attention. So now we're, we've been told that we need to make another album. So we are, I was just talking to Ron yesterday and we're going to, we have some tunes written and we're going to, we're figuring out what to do. We're going to probably, I'm hoping to have it out by the end of the year. And, and I just moved to the Seattle area. So I'm, I, signed on for one jam session here to be like they're they're going to alternate between two bass players and i signed on to do that here i imagine and but you know maybe i'll join a bluegrass group who knows um but i do have I, my my jazz project is going to continue and but that's the nice thing about being a bass player a jazz bass player is you just never know who's going to call you for what and mm. you could get called for a big band gig um and yeah, you know, if you read music, which I'm not a great reader, but I can, you know, I can go fumble my way through a big band gig, or I can drop into a combo, or I could even go, I could go play a bluegrass gig right now. I could go play a country gig. So I don't know what people, people are desperate for bass players, man. So uh, I never know what to expect, but yeah. So, so you can expect a new album out from, from Ron Seiger and Brent Butterworth. Mm. Um by the end of the year and it'll be i sure hope it'll be better than the last one it's going to sound better i promise it'll sound better that last one david chesky told me it sounded good um that's about I'm as gonna... high a compliment as you, it's you know head of chesky records that's as high a compliment as you can get i'll have to check so, it out um it's okay it's not boring i'll, I'll push that way it's jazz but it's not boring gotcha i don't not, think it's boring. not elevator jazz right it's not elevator jazz, but if people want to play it in elevators, that's okay with me. Um, <laughs> so no, it's kind of it's there's there's more pop. There's a lot of pop influence. I mean, he and I both have a, a heavy pop influence as well as being jazz people. So it's mm -hmm. it's designed to be fun to listen to. Good. 
Well, I have one last question for you. Sure. So for a guy like me, who's been doing this for two and a half, mm -hmm. almost three years, who aspires to be a guy like you, what advice do you have for me starting out? Don't do I, I, I'm being honest. I, don't I do. do it. Don't do it. You are end game for me. So Fine. I, do something that's going to make you some money. Hey, you, <laughs> you live 30 minutes out of Seattle. You have fun. You do what you love. That to True. me is, is True. something that that's where I want to head, you know? Um, and luckily I'm, I'm, I have a, I have a girlfriend who, has kind of the same mentality. She just wants me to be happy and wants me to do what I love and is very supportive about that. So um, longevity wise, yeah, I would love to, you know, work for publications, do reviews and, 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 and do what I love on the side as my hobby stuff. Uh, so w what advice would you give? Uh, would you give your younger self? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tougher question than it might sound. Um, if you want to make money and be popular, I would not get into measurement. I would I would completely ignore blind testing. I would completely ignore science and just completely go for the high end BS kind of thing, because people love to read that. It's like, you know, people. It's a tribal thing. You're if you read that stuff, you're part of a tribe of people that who you understand that you know such and such, you know, these fancy products are better than the cheap stuff they sell at Best Buy, right? And it's very easy for writers to spew a bunch of artsy sounding stuff and make, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's a lot easier to do that than to sit there, you know, running measurements all night. Because if you, if you run measurements on a serious basis, you're going to be doing a lot of long nights. Mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out how to get stuff to work. And, and everybody who does measurements will tell you that. Um, and I would, if you really want to do what I do, I would say the first step is you have to read Floyd Tools book, Sound Reproduction. Um, that is really the Bible. There's, so, there's more knowledge in that book than there is in every audio magazine ever published in the history of mankind combined. And that's your start. And then I would read the Loudspeaker Design Cookbook by Vance Dickinson, which is about to go into a new printing, um, which will be really expanded and updated. Uh, I proofread a couple of the sections for him. Um, that will let you understand speakers really, really in depth. It's heavy lifting. It's It starts like, I think, page two. There's graphs on it. But that's where I learned how speakers work is from reading Vance's book. Um, mm. So I'm telling you to read a lot of books. There's a, I, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the best. Is, is this book. book you know. that you, is this a book you're referring to? That's the book. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's a, that's the Floyd book. That's, that is, the, that's the, the place to start. So there's a book on, um, oh God. There's a, there's a, there's a, the, the amplifier book I have, and I just unpacked, so I, I don't have all my books out yet. Um, the amplifier book, I think, it, I think the guy's, I want to say the guy's, the guy's name is Bob Duro, but that's not, it's not because Bob Duro is a famous jazz composer um, and also was on Schoolhouse Rock. But 
um, it's something like Bob Duro, Bob somebody wrote a book about amplifiers and he has how amplifiers work all the way up to and including class D. And um, I would say do that, read uh, uh, Principles of Digital Audio by Ken Pullman, which is about this thick. I don't know that you'll ever get through it. I don't think I actually finished the whole thing, but he goes and he, he has a, the best discussion of audio codecs that you'll ever find anywhere. And, you know, if you spend a year or two reading those books, I'm trying to think if there's another one that's really a must. Those are the ones that are really, no, sadly, no really good book has been written about headphones. But uh, those books, because if you read those books, you will be, you will know more than 99.5% of all working reviewers. Um and you mentioned that you're doing some measurements, right? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm barely scratching the surface with REW. I, I do, um, you know, REW sweeps yeah. and, and see just where the um, where they fall off and where the high end falls off, where the low end falls off, just to give my audience an idea of what to expect um, in just a normal sized room, nothing crazy, uh, you know. Uh, I don't have an anechoic chamber or anything like that. Oh, well, or, nobody, almost yeah. nobody does. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I wish I could provide my audience with that, but I, I like to keep it very matter of fact. I like to keep it very relatable. Um, you know, my audience appreciates my sincerity. I, you know, I can't be bought, you know, I can't yeah. be bought. It's one of those things where the second you're bought and someone finds out you lose all credibility, you know, there goes your career. So I'm, I'm not going to risk that over a, a pair of speakers or, or whatever. Um, I, I, I know there's a lot out there that have, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of working reviewers that do, um, you know, take, take money for good reviews. And that's, that's just yeah. part of the, the dark side of the, of, of the moon, you know, <laughs> where, you know, it, it's just, it's sad, but true, but I feel like that's kind of disingenuous to the audience because then sure. they're getting a, a biased review when they should be getting the truth, you know? Yeah. I, I would say, honestly, the, the thing that has helped me the most is the relationships I have. And if you want to do what I do, which is, you know, more the scientific rational measurement oriented sort of thing and i think i think i'm living proof that you can combine that with some of the more you know high-end you know ooky kind of high-end stuff and and be reasonably legit and still have a job <laughs> um, so but you really need to befriend you need to find mentors and um like to me, Vince Dickinson was just the greatest. And I met him right when I was trying to do measurements and back in 96, 97 or something like that. And, uh, uh, and, and to, to have him guide me and he would call me up once in a while and go, uh, speaker, did you check this setting on your analyzer? And I'd be kind of, I'd look, I'm like, Ooh, Oh, Ooh, uh, <laughs> and he was kind enough to do that for a long time and if, and I still talk to him 
about measurement problems I'm having. Bob Carver, who I noticed you just had on a while back, was really helpful to me measuring amplifiers. I remember I, I he, he called me up because I was measuring, I, I just started measuring amps and I was trying to measure one of his amps and his amps didn't quite, his amps delivered everything he said, but you had to know how to measure them properly. You couldn't do it with a standard audio precision setup. And he said, could you come up here and let me like show you how I measure amps? I'm like, sure. <laughs> and I, I spent a whole day with him and he's showing me how to measure amps the whole time, like creating, cradling his little, his little like Bichon in his arm while he's working on the precision and stuff. And, but he, he was really helpful to me in that he said, uh, I, I was showing him my early subwoofer distortion measurements before CTA 2010 because I couldn't figure out like why the subwoofers that have a flat frequent flat measured frequency response down to like 18 hertz sound like they have no bass because a lot of them were like that. And I came up with this measurement and he said, look, that's a good start. He said, look, all of us had to start, you know, all of us started really not knowing what we were doing and just messing around until we figured it out. And um you know, I've just and, and you know the the, the Harmon and X Harmon people, Floyd Tool and, and Sean Olive and uh, all those people. And you know, you can go. I mean, it's the thing is to go to trade shows. Go to go to every trade show you can and meet these people, and okay. they will help you out. And there will always be jerks. And there are always there's a thing with measurement, and I think probably most people go through with it. Go go through it where you learn a few measurements and you think you know everything and everyone else is an idiot. And then you send them emails telling them they're an idiot. And, <laughs> and then a couple of years down the road, you're like, oh yeah, that guy was right. <laughs> and then maybe you send him an email and apologize. But I've, I've been through that a lot. I think I kind of went through that phase a long, long, long time ago. And I, I seem to be one of the targets for for young young reviewers learning how to measure who want to email me and tell, tell me i'm an idiot you know um, it, it seems like it, it is a long journey of of just creating relationships and and learning and it's a, it's always a learning experience for me it's always a learning experience especially when i talk to engineers now engineers are the hardest people to interview on a forum like this because they <laughs> I don't want to say all engineers are like this, but a lot of engineers are very technical and very to the point. Mm -hmm. So they, they don't really expand on a lot of things. They just kind of give you the answer you're looking for. And then that's it. So uh, as far as, you know, being guests on my show, it's, it, I got to be prepared with, you know, a, just a litany of questions, but I, that's why I like, you know, engaging with people like you who, you know, obviously can expand on, on their, on their stuff. However, with engineers, it's, it's intimidating because they almost expect you to already know what they're talking about. And I'm like, yeah, what the hell are, are you speaking Chinese to me right now? You know, I, I don't understand any of this. This is Mandarin. Um, but, but the more you do this, the more you'll sort of you'll, the more you'll understand what they do and the more they'll appreciate talking to you because you can yeah. understand and appreciate what they do. Well, cause they're and, awesome. I mean, a lot of them are awesome. And yeah. I wish I wish I could have met Kenny Shiwata. That, that's one guy I think that I would have clicked with really well. Did you get a chance to to have any interactions with him? I never met him. I was in his presence. Okay. Uh, he was showing some France 
thingy, and he had on like a more like a white robe thing. And, he was very uh, he, fashionable for he sure. Did, he did the he did the guru thing really really well. I should learn to do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, and you know I don't. I, I'm a speaker and headphone guy. So the 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 amp people, with some exceptions. I mean, I've become friends with Bob Carver and Dan D'Agostino and uh, 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 Peter Madnick and lots of other people like that who, who are immensely knowledgeable and experienced and, and, and very real world people when you get right down to it. You know, all of these people will tell you honestly, uh, that they'll all be honest with you. There's like zero BS with these people. And mm -hmm. And they're they're generally sometimes there's a little hurdle to get over mm -hmm. because they're, they're believe me they're all besieged with people who don't understand what they do who think they understand what they do and mm -hmm. are asking just the most rudimentary questions or they're challenging them on stuff that the person doesn't understand. But once you kind of get over that hurdle, Andrew Jones is another just font of knowledge and and he's happy to share it with people. I know he's actually worked with some of the YouTube guys. Uh, to help them start doing measurements on a, on a kind of real world basis. And uh, Paul Barton's another one from PSB Audio. Paul's Paul's the one who hounded me into doing speaker measurements. <laughs> uh, he hounded a lot of people. <laughs> hounded, he hounded Soundstage into it. Yeah. Um, so that's honestly, I guess now that I'm, I'm, I'm just going on forever here, but it boils down to relationships. I mean, get to know people. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we have a zillion audio shows now, and you can go to these audio shows for next to nothing. If you if you have enough of an audience, you can go as a press person and uh, and go talk to them and, and see what they're doing and just just be nice and be appreciative of what they're doing. And don't and, you know, kind of maybe don't you know, don't ask them a million questions, but think of one really good question. <laughs> gotcha. And, um, you know. And they get to know you and then they'll send you products. And especially if they think you get what they're doing, probably be happy to send you products. Well, Brent, I want to thank you so much for being on my show. Um, I hope I, I hope you had a chance to check out some of my stuff. If not, I hope you, I, I actually encourage you because I want you to critique me and I want you to kind of see where I'm at uh, with my oh, latest I'd, stuff. I'd, I'd love to do that. Don't don't look at my old stuff. Look at my new stuff. But um, so if uh, I go on YouTube and find you, then it'll I'll just just the stuff of the last couple months, right? Yeah, and okay. I kind of want you to give me a critique of how I'm doing and 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 tell me you know your honest opinion because I I, I love um I, I love constructive criticism i mean it gets kind of nasty in the comments oh, yeah. section sometimes and i know that's why uh, a fellow youtuber uh names john darko he he turned oh off, i know john yeah yeah he turns off comments altogether so um and, and you know I've, I've heard that you know i've heard and experienced that people get some horrible horrible stuff and and it's sometimes it's just unwarranted sometimes it's just ridiculous and i don't know why people have the time to or the energy to 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 hate on someone that's actually trying to 
to do something for for the, the audience because we're not we don't make as YouTubers we don't make a lot of money at all. Yeah. I make more money uh, doing doing reviews for for publications than I do for for YouTube. Yeah. So um for youtube it's it's more like a let's see if this happens let's see if this takes off let's see if people take to my to my vibe and to my energy and to my to what i'm doing and and feel like they're getting something out of it if i if i can at least provide that then i've already won um i don't need a million subscribers i don't need all that stuff uh, as long as people get something out of it i've done my job and i think that provides enough through that medium now as far as my writing goes that's where i kind of want to focus my efforts more so hopefully you know i'll, I'll send you some links to that as well so you can check cool. that out but um yeah brent dude you you are a a a true a true legend in this business like i said i it, there was like a good two or three days of just reading stuff and i couldn't get away from your name like everywhere you, you were just brent butterworth brent butterworth brent butterworth i'm I like i can't believe that i, I gotta I just, talk to I, this guy <laughs> i don't know i i just can't i i it's just it's hard for me to 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 grasp all that and uh it just comes you know i've been writing for 30 plus years there's so much in this, and and everything from the last you know most of the stuff 15 years almost 20 years is still somewhere and uh yeah it's it's a lot actually a i lot. think there was a article you wrote that i actually quoted from on one of my videos i can't remember gosh i'm just having a brain fart right now but um man it was a what was it about it, it wasn't about a, it wasn't a review of, of a speaker. It was about a subject and it was so powerful. Ugh, man, I don't know why I'm not, I'm just forgetting right now. I'll have to look it up. Um, if I, if I do remember and I look it up, I'll, I'll, I'll post it down there, but yeah, you did an excellent, excellent job. Um, just describing this. Now, yeah, now I'm going to, I'm going to have to go through my videos and see which one it was, but, um, but yeah, you, you're great, man. You're great. You have a good grasp. I think a great grasp on, the industry you're humble you 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 you're realistic that's what i love about you you're realistic just just by talking to you for this hour and, and change some change oh, that's good that's nice to hear it, it, you're realistic you know most most like i said most of these reviews i see on these magazines are 50 60,000 products tested with 200,000 dollars worth of gear nobody is going to be able to listen to that. Well, some some people, but not, not the majority of, of, of humanity. The majority of humanity has a budget, you know, and they got to adhere to that budget. And I feel yeah. that I, I try to stay with the products I review. I try to stay realistic. I have reviewed a couple a couple of high end products. I reviewed a Boulder amp one time and mm. and stuff like that. It's it nice to look at, beautiful amp, you know, but. I prefer staying realistic, you know, so that, I think that's the realm I'm going to live in is realism. So that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. There's enough uh, people writing about the fancy stuff. And frankly, it's what they're, what they're saying is not, I, I think in most cases, all that interesting. Listen to some guy going, Oh, I put on this symphony and you know, blah, blah. And it sounded great. And then I put on, oh, it sounded great. And, you know, whatever. 
people seem to like to read that stuff and it's a lot easier to do than doing a big technical breakdown with a bunch of measurements i'll tell you that yep all right my friend well thank you so much for joining me guys thank you for joining us um you'll be able to find all of brett's links in the description below and uh i'm excited to see you guys next time thank you so much and thank you thanks mike thank you brent for joining me today